Welcome to the Proceedings Podcast. I'm Bill Hamlet, the Editor-in-Chief of Proceedings Magazine at the U.S. Naval Institute. Today is Monday, December 19th, 2022, coming to you from uh, Annapolis, from the uh, the Broadcast Center here at the Jack C. Taylor Conference Center at the Naval Institute. Good to have you on board, everybody, today. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Blue Cross Blue Shield Dental Coverage. I can't help myself from smiling right now. That's because I have Blue Cross Blue Shield FEP Dental. I pay no deductible for in-network services. My in-network preventive care is fully covered, including three cleanings a year. Plans start as low as $20 a month. Learn more at bcbsfepdental.com. Okay, let's kick off the show. So last week, we had our first Coast Guard guest in quite a while, Rear Admiral Doug Fears, fantastic guest. It was a great show. If you haven't watched that episode or tuned into it yet, I highly recommend it. And this week, we've got our first Foreign Navy guest. So joining me today from Germany are Captain Sasha Rakowitz and Commander Mark Baumert of the German Navy. So Mark's joining us from Wilhelmshaven. We were just joking before we kicked off that in 1988, Ensign Bill Hamlet got to visit Wilhelmshaven, a wonderful port. I had one of the best meals of my life in the officers club there uh, at the Wilhelmshaven Naval Base. But I did joke that uh, I'd been at sea for about 70 days. So, you know, almost anything could have tasted really good. Uh, and um, Sasha Rakwitz, Captain Rakwitz is joining us from Berlin. They are the authors of an article in the December issue of Proceedings that's titled, NATO Navies Must Get the Balance Right. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Or I should say, willkommen in the show. Good to have <laughs> you. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. Okay. And thanks for having us, Bill. So good to have you. So before we get to a discussion about the article, uh, I just, if you could please uh, give our listeners a little bit about your careers. What, you know, what do you do in the German Navy? What are your specialties and what are your current job titles? I'll start with Captain Rockwitz. Yeah, sure. I joined the Navy back in 1991, so shortly after you visited Wilhelmshaven. Um, um, and the, after university degree in history, in my case, I joined the submarine service. Uh, I have been a submariner ever since, uh, interspersed by one of the other uh, tours in uh, uh, higher command and, and the Ministry of Defense. I've been uh, the skipper of a um, German U-boat, so a Type 206 class boat back in the good old days. Uh, I've been uh, force commander of the German submarine force from 11 to 13, um, and uh, chief of staff of the flotilla to which uh, the submarine squadron belongs as well, uh, which is in Kiel and in charge of all the assets in the Baltic Sea. Um, in the meantime, I did several tours of the Ministry of Defense, uh, mostly in uh, Paul Mill affairs, uh, spent two and a half years in Brussels as a policy advisor to the German ambassador at the, in the European Council. And um, currently I'm serving again in the MOD, that's why I'm in Berlin, um, as the XO to the Director General for Forces Policy. So my boss, a Army three-star, He's in charge of um, force preparation, readiness, uh, and enablement of the armed forces uh, in the joint staff, and I'm his senior exo. Got it. Thanks, Sasha. Uh, Mark? Yes. Uh, well, my career is uh, much less impressive, I would say. I started also a little bit uh, later in 2004, joining the German Navy. I, um, most of my time at sea, I was operations officer in the German Navy, as well as uh, as an exchange officer in the, in the French Navy. Um, and uh, now currently I'm serving as an executive officer on board of the German 
frigates. Our main focus is uh, anti-submarine warfare. Um, I had some opportunities to work in the Ministry of Defense as well as NATO. My last post was a strategic defense planner in NATO. Uh, that was quite uh, amazing to see how the strategic level and the operational level come together, meeting the tactical level at one point. So, um, yeah, um, that, that was my career more or less. So now XO on board of a frigate in Wittenstein. Fantastic. All right. So the, uh, the article is titled NATO Navies Must Get the Balance Right. Can you briefly describe the factors that you think need to be balanced? I'll start with uh, Captain Rockwitz. Yeah, sure. Well, uh, basically, it's it's the very same factors which have which have uh, caused headaches to naval planners since the times of Pericles, I guess. So um, there's, for one, finance, um, and obviously there's uh, a, a strong history of. Um, under financing, under budget, in, especially in the German military, but, but across the board in Europe, I fear, but especially so in Germany. Um, then you have personnel. Um, I think uh, personnel will be the factor which will uh, occupy us in the near future the most. So recruiting and retainment of personnel, um, of personnel of quality, will be one of the biggest challenges ahead of us, or it already is one of the biggest challenges. Then there is technological change, I would argue. Um, so uh, how to cope with techno technology, um, how, to, how to get a grasp on which technology will actually really influence combat in, in the future. And then there's the threat analysis, um, which is actually what, was, what has driven the article. Uh, threat analysis both um, to be able to, to uh, not to confuse the imminent and present threats you face with the more remote threats, which will affect and form your future. And at the same time, to get the balance right between deterrence and defense, because deterrence and defense, and this is something which occupies us a lot in, in, in Germany here in the current uh, situation, uh, may demand very different things from armed forces. Mark? Well, the only thing sir, that I would add is, um, well, you have emphasized already um, deterrence and defense. Uh, well, speaking to my colleagues, it's currently the debate around crisis response operations, if we still need them. And uh, you have read in our article that we make the point, yes, uh, we do need them in the future. Uh, but at the same time, collective defense, and a renewed emphasis on collective defense. And that is one of the major uh, discussions. Oh, that it looks like had. we... Uh... Lost Mark there for a minute. Sasha, can you still hear us? Yes, I do. I, okay. I can hear you. Can uh, you it looks like Mark froze up there for a second. So uh, we'll go back. Up oh, now, we can hear you. Yep, okay. you unfroze. Okay, go ahead. Um, the only thing that I would add, Bill, can you hear me now? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Is that uh, well? Speaking to colleagues, uh, crisis response operations versus collective defense. That is one of the major topics that we discuss currently um, now with what has happened in Ukraine. And, uh, and also modern technologies, as Captain Rackwitz has uh, already mentioned, uh, modern technologies against more resilient older technologies, what uh, to use best in the future. These are the discussions. Yeah, I think one of the things that uh, our ed board, our editorial board and my staff and I really liked about the article is that, you know, you bring out a lot of these factors that are certainly playing in the discussion, the defense discussion here in the United States, right? You know, technology, modernization, people, uh, uh, you know, force force planning, whether you want to be a, a, a forward deployed or a, a force in being, um, how much emphasis do you put on 
you know, contingency operations or high end operations versus, you know, the sort of low end things that you have to do. And, you know, the German Navy has been uh, has has played heavily in the counter piracy operations off Somalia over the past decade. Some of the Gulf of Guinea uh, Mediterranean types of things. You know, there's a lot going on that's, you know, day to day problems. And then there are the you know, the high end problems, like what do we do about China? What do we do about about Russia? So I wanted to ask a little bit because you guys are certainly, you know, so much closer uh, to Ukraine and the current ongoing war. Um, and, you know, and our listeners know how that's playing out in, in American uh, press headlines. Uh, but what are some of the daily headlines in the German press uh, right now about the war? What kind of discussions are you having either in the MOD or, or you know, in Wilhelmshaven among your uh, your German military colleagues there uh, with, with the German Navy about, you know, Russia, about the ongoing war, about that, how that impacts uh, things like force planning. I'll start with you, Sasha. Well, yeah, sure. It is, it is exactly those questions, those factors. As, as Mark has already said, all through the last 20 to 25 years, the whole of the German armed forces, um, the, the land forces as much as the Navy, but particularly so the Navy, have been very much focused on conciliatory force operations. Um, as you said, counter piracy operations at the Horn of Africa and the Gulf of Guinea. Um, in recent years, uh, counter migration, migration control operations. And we've been in, uh, off the coast of Lebanon now for, for almost 20 years by now, uh, trying to, to um, well, uh, uphold some stability in those in those very fragile security policy-wise, very fragile areas, and now in that, actually we have we have missed the wake-up call in 2014 in many respects, and now with the Russian with the Russian uh, aggression against Ukraine this year, um, I fear we we tip the scale in the other direction as consequently as we did for the last 20 years, which would be a mistake to say, okay, we've got to stop right away with all those presence operations. We've got to stop right away with all those crisis response operations. That's in the past. We made a mistake. So let's focus now on war fighting against a peer competitor. And I'd say this would be as wrong as it was wrong to totally forget about uh, peer competitor um, threats in the past. Uh, and this, those are the discussions we're covering in heaven. So how does that inform force structure? How does that inform technological development and how to invest best scarce resources, most, most in fact, in the realm of, of personnel? Because technology, again, is closely connected to personnel again. What, what can we actually expect personnel in the future to cope with technology-wise, education-wise, uh, those are the questions, and it's a total difference between those contemporary force operations and what we are facing with Russia. And that's what, I'm, what I was talking about, the horizons, threat horizons. You named it yourself, and it's not as close to us as it is to, to the U.S., but all, we are also thinking about China and how will that actually change the whole picture with Russia most probably becoming a close and, for us, very dangerous opponent but actually a secondary opponent in which is going in the wake of China. And how does that inform our relationship to, to the U.S. as the biggest ally who is more focused on China, obviously? So this is that conundrum which, which makes a lot of very hard decisions necessary. 
Yeah, very dynamic, certainly. Go ahead, Mark, you had something to say. Yes, the only thing that I would add is that, uh, speaking to colleagues, uh, I see that we have a renewed emphasis on NATO. So our allies, the United States, Europe, we came closer together. And, and uh, where, while in the past there were some, at least some colleagues and maybe even presidents who put a question mark behind NATO, um, that seems not to be the case anymore. So we see absolutely a strengthening of NATO. Uh, and going down to the tactical level, um, now with, uh, for example, the North Stream pipelines and uh, however you may think uh, politically about this whole project, but we see that uh, that seabed projects like pipelines, internet cables, um, that we have to protect them better. And in the past, uh, we as naval officers, we always have made this point, but we sense that there's more acceptance now um, for these issues um, also for the future. I've got one more question I'm going to ask you, and then I want to go to some of our audience questions because we're getting quite a few good ones uh, popping into the chat right now. But uh, my next question is for you. You know, In your article, you start out and you point out that the most recent example of high-end warfare at sea is still the 1982 Falklands War between Great Britain and Argentina. You also quote Wayne Hughes, and anybody who quotes Wayne Hughes in a preceding article always gets uh, a couple of bonus points there. You draw some lessons from the Falklands, Falklands War. Can you tell our listeners what some of those most important lessons are for any Navy, but especially as you look at, at NATO navies? Well, I'd say, obviously, if, if, if you are an admirer of Wayne Hughes, as I am, um, you would always have to say all five or six, depending on which edition you're talking about. Uh, and we're talking about Falklands, it's got to be six. But... Um, I'd argue, well, if I have to pick and choose, I'd currently always say, I would always say Mad Matter Most uh, as a prime. Uh, and then obviously um, attack effectively first, but then know thy technology. Um, because this is one of those watershed moments we're currently at um, with modern technology, where we see that technology, which is actually not within the domain itself, in the maritime domain, is becoming more and more important and will change, perhaps will change the whole picture. So it will be pivotal what decisions we make, Mark. Yes, and uh, I would say also attack effectively first because keeping the initiative was quite important for uh, for the Falkland operation. And actually I was one of Captain Ruckbitt's students uh, at the German Führungsakademie, our German staff college, where he made us play the whole operation from the beginning to the end. And we realized quite quickly how how difficult actually it was to uh, to lead this task group. And now reading Sandy Woodward, and I'm sure you have, you have read his book, 100 I've not read it yet. I haven't read it yet. I, oh, then I would strongly recommend because it is, uh, it is a fascinating book about the issues and the, the, the problems that he faced. And one of those problems was also fatigue and, um, and the, the constant pressure on being vigilant, uh, potential Argentinian attacks. I think that is still relevant today. Um, I know that in the U.S. Navy, you have some some projects how to reduce fatigue among your officers, but uh, this is also coming uh, as, a, as a topic in Europe. Um, yeah, but no, I would say attack effectively first, keeping the initiative that was quite important in the whole Falkland operation. Good points. Yeah, I w let me just go to a couple of questions from the audience here. Uh, one is, uh, can NATO keep Russia bottled up in the Baltic? So that's uh, Harry Lime asking that question. So from your perspective there, and you're, you know, Wilhelmshaven, you're in the, you know, on the Baltic or close to it, and you, know, you operate, the German Navy operates there, uh, you know, constantly. Uh, you know, so what do you think about the current situation in the Baltic vis-a-vis -vis the Russian Navy? 
so yeah, uh, if if I may start, uh, Bill, I think it's a very good question. It's of course one of those questions that uh, keep us awake and make us work quite a lot. Uh, and and Captain Rackwitz will soon take over the biggest fleet, um, if I'm correctly informed, uh, in in the Baltic Sea, which is wow. German leaders for Tiller One uh, in January. So uh, in fact, yes, I, I think the, if we do it right, uh, we can succeed. And in our article, you can see that we also say. If Nelson had drawn uh, circles around the combined fleet, uh, this article would be French. And if you now read a lot of articles about Kaliningrad and this, the kill zone circles, um, well, then you quite easily would say, no, we should not even give it a try if we need to. Uh, but um, no, we, I'm quite optimistic um, that we would have um, some good ideas and plans how to deal with it. Obviously, this is quite tactical now. Uh, but yeah, um, this is one of the big topics, obviously. I think I think what we, we have to really, uh, if you look at the Baltic Sea region currently, uh, it will change dramatically with, with the accession of Finland and Sweden to NATO. Um, you just have to, have to see that uh, once that happened, uh, cross my fingers that it will be soon. Um, basically, 95% of the coastline of the Baltic Sea are NATO. So uh, you have the you have the exclave of Kaliningrad, and then you have that very small end part of that cul-de-sac, which is which is um, uh, the Gulf of Finland, um, with with um, Saint Petersburg uh, at the end. So bottling them up is not the issue. Yeah. So the question is, I do get the question, but it is not as it used to be until '89, where the German Navy, together with the Danes, had that most that um, that, that uh, biggest emphasis mission of bottling up the Russian uh, Baltic Sea fleet, pre preventing them from breaking out of the Baltics and reuniting with the Northern Fleet in the North Sea. That's not the issue anymore. The issue is that we will be forced to keep up the sea lines of communication, especially to the Baltic states, which are our allies, and and they are in a much more precarious situation with their with their land borders to Russia and and, uh, and Belarus. So the sea lines of communication, especially in the run up to a possible conflict, will be will be essential, and they will be sea lines of communication. So the Russians don't actually have to break out; they only have to use their means in preventing us from keeping the Baltic states and, and Finland, perhaps in a way. Uh, closely connect, connected to, to NATO um, and to the West to keep up their economy. It's not just about sustaining the forces there, but to sustain the, the population there. That's the big issue. And this, again, talking about circles and kill zones, this will be quite a tough nut to crack. And there's a lot. We, we haven't finished the discussions yet, how we best do that. Which role will surface vessels in a... Uh, conventional understanding still playing in the Baltic Sea. Um, uh, is there, and then we coming back to technology, will the Baltic Sea in the foreseeable future become a transparent battlefield where um, you have to think totally different about which assets you can actually employ? Do you have to get much smaller um, with much more punch on much smaller vessels? which are then outside of the Baltic Sea will be no use because they couldn't withstand the, the, the seas and the North Sea. Those are the questions of how do we balance that, actually? And, and so the, the question is per, very pertinent, but it's not about actually bottling them in, but rather in and pushing them back so that we can still uh, reach our friends in the Baltic states and in Finland that. 
You remind me of an article we published by an Estonian naval officer maybe four or five years ago. It was about how how can NATO solve the geography problem in the Baltic. And, you know, when you when you zoom in on the Baltic Sea, as not not many American naval officers do because we don't tend to sail there a lot unless you're involved in, you know, the Baltops uh, annual exercise. But we, we tend to spend particularly the last 20 plus years we've gone you know from the east coast through across the atlantic through the mediterranean into the to the fifth fleet area of operations that's been our our largest focus but when you look at you know the uh, uh, the baltic sea nations those those new members of uh, of nato uh, you know latvia lithuania and estonia that is a distant problem for nato and it is a you know up and you know it's it's uh, it, it's an immediate quick quick problem it's a it's a it more is. it's an easier problem for russia right you know although right now russia is obviously bogged down and, and failing miserably in in ukraine but uh your your point is well taken that it's not necessarily about stopping the uh the russian baltic fleet from escaping the baltic but really about how to protect uh those uh, those uh nato countries that are up on the russian border uh, which is a land war problem for them, but for us, it's a naval problem in the resupply in the in the lines of communication. Yeah, very good point. I also glad you brought in um, uh, Finland and Russia or Finland and Sweden into the problem uh, into the your answer too, because that was another question from one of our uh, of our listeners. Um, you both, in your uh, answer to my first question, you both mentioned technology and about how technology is one of those many important factors that has to be. Uh, you know, has to be factored into force design, right? Um, so what are some technologies in the German Navy or in, in your conversations within NATO that European navies are evolving, are thinking about, are focused on? You know, is, is it ships getting bigger or smaller? Um, is it, uh, you know, ASW technology? Is it cyber warfare? Is it you know, communication, C4, ISR types of, what are, what are the big technologies that are driving change in, in your Navy and in NATO navies writ large? Yes, um, so actually all of those that you just mentioned uh, are quite important. Now, the most important, however, I would say, uh, uh, reconnaissance and detection methods that have improved significantly over the last years. Um, speaking of the Falkland operation, it was still possible for the Royal Navy not to be detected um, when they entered the Joa, the Joint uh, Operations Area. But uh, nowadays we have to assume that once we enter the Joa, we get detected quite easily by satellites and by analyzing big data, or be it personal devices by our sailors that they have with them, smartphones, they can be detected as well. Um, so that is, that is something that we have to keep in mind, uh, and that kind of changes also a little bit the calculus when it comes to naval operations. And if I may say so, knowing that Captain Rackwitz has a, a submarine background, I think there's also a shift currently towards uh, surface uh, frigates when it comes to detection of submarines. Um, we have we see technologies that could make a big difference in the future. The satellite communications um, are something that are fantastic to uh, to keep a real time picture for the commander at home. Uh, but there is also downside, and the downside is that uh, commanders in the operations area. Um, get uh, get used to it. They rely on this guidance from their superior command. And uh, just as an example, Nelson has given three signals in the Battle of Trafalgar uh, to his subordinate commanders. Um, would that be also the case nowadays in modern combat? Hard to say, but 
most likely uh, commander back home would influence more uh, an operation. So we see te technologies with many advantages, but we also have to see the downsides and we have to find the balance. And that is what the article is about. I'm glad you brought that up because it's, it's, a, it's an evergreen topic in our pages is this idea, the balance between over the horizon communications, the immediacy of email at sea, the ability to do video teleconferences with your higher echelon commanders, all the way back to, for the US Navy, back to the Pentagon or back to you know Pacific Fleet or Atlantic Fleet headquarters. And that, that does come with a, a cost, right? And in, 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 our, in our Navy, many have written about it coming at the cost of mission command have, and, and commander's initiative at the tactical level that people might be hesitant to make decisions because they want to know what their boss wants them to do, right? So so it sounds like that's a conversation that, that also takes place in the German Navy and in NATO navies. It's not just the U.S. Navy. Absolutely, absolutely. And I would, um, I would say, actually, it's um, uh, many of what, what, what Mark is, has, has alluded to is, is, uh, is space-based. So it is a lot about how we, the military use of space as I mentioned, which is outside, at least for Germany, outside of the realm of the Navy, um, but, but the Navy pretty much depends on it, not only for communications, but near earth sensing, everything which has to do with that. And it will become even more important in the future, I guess. And on the other side, what, what we are very uh, focused on in the German Navy, particularly, especially as the Baltic Sea is such a unique operations area, is everything which is connected to undersea warfare, everything which is to uh, connected to um, um, uh, uh, sea bottom warfare, especially. So, if we're thinking about um, uh, naviga precise navigation without space support, without GPS, if we're uh, thinking about uh, high bandwidth uh, target information, targeting information, uh, and surveillance information without uh, the support of space in a uh, contested electronic environment, we always go beneath the surface. Uh, at the same time, we see that more and more with the de detection of Kelvin waves, for example, and some, uh, things like this, perhaps water becomes more and more translucent. So again, the question, which role can submarines actually play in such an environment? So uh, everything below the surface is becoming currently for us more and more important uh, technology-wise. Great points. Um, so I, I uh, where was I going with that next one? Sorry, I lost my train of thought there for a second. Um, oh, I know what I was going to say is, uh, so, you know, over the last, uh, particularly after 9-11, um, you know, the, the U.S. Navy just sort of went fast forward 110% and, and we we burned up the force uh, by having, the, you know, a two carrier presence and sometimes, you know, more than two carriers often in uh, in the, the, the CENTCOM area of responsibility and then watching as the Chinese Navy got bigger and we wanted to counter that and have more presence in the in Seventh Fleet. Um, to what extent, you know, has uh, have NATO navies also run very hard and very fast and, and sort of gotten behind on maintenance or gotten behind on personnel issues? Uh, has, has that happened in the past 20 years in your Navy as well? Well, obviously, I don't want to talk too much about all European navies. I don't want to get get nightly calls from from gentlemen from <laughs> Copenhagen to Paris. Yeah. Uh, but uh, talking about the German Navy, absolutely so, absolutely so. We have we have had a very very high ops tempo, um, uh, and and have been forced 
though that is not quite fair, at times we have been very willing to provide forces into crisis management operations, those, those particular conceptual force kind of operations which we have been talking about, because it gave forces visibility and political leverage which promised to, to, to um, make a claim on funds in the future. But at the same time, it hurt preparedness uh, because we, with, with furnishing forces to kind of piracy and stuff, um, we had less and less time actually preparing uh, the crews and going through the wake-up cycles uh, uh, in a professional manner, and it hurt maintenance. Um, and this is actually the harvest we are having right now with a very, very um, low material and personnel preparedness, and it's very hard to climb up that out of this hole again currently. Um, so money, in fact, is not so much an issue for us. We've had the Zeitenwende that even has made, made American news. So with the chancellor in, in early February um, saying, well, okay, we, we agree, we, we have to admit we made a mistake and we have to turn around and we have to focus more on security policy. And, so, and this led to that investment pledge of 100 billion euros in a lump sum uh, for, for defense investment. So this is all very nice, but the problem is turning the whole ship around, thinking wise and getting up standards and training and maintenance again. This will take time. It's it's not so easy just to invest money and there you go. Um, so this is this is really a big a big price tag we're currently paying for. Yeah. Mark, you're the EXO on a frigate. Uh, yeah. how, how old is your ship? And you know what are you seeing in terms of the the challenges? You know, right on the waterfront. Yeah, so on the tactical level, uh, my ship is 28 years old, uh, soon to be 30 years old. And that is, uh, some would argue, that is too old for a warship. Um, I know that actually um, the US Navy has been downsized over the last decades quite significantly. Uh, the same applies to uh, a lot of European navies, uh, be it the Royal Navy or the German Navy. And I remember having read an article about one of your undersecretaries of the army in the 70s. His name was Augustine, Norman Augustine. And he he has, um, he has created some laws, and one of his laws was that while defense budgets grow in a linear way, linearly, um, the prices of aircraft, he took the example of combat aircraft, uh, grow exponentially. Mm. And the same somehow um, also applies to, to combat ships, to, to warships. And we realized that even though we have now this 100 billion site and then the budget increase, um, we are not able to, to create a complete new fleet around it. So, a new military around it because things get so expensive and have got, have gotten so expensive in the last decades. Um, so now on the tactical level, we face the personal problems, and uh, and if I may say so, just having spoken to an American friend, you seem to have the same problems as well because the economy is, is also uh, looking for personnel everywhere. Every big bigger company is looking for personnel, and we have the same issue in Europe. Um, so we have to find ways how to how to solve this issue. But, but just to give you a picture, Bill, of how, how downsizing the fleet happened, when I joined the submarine force uh, back in 1995, uh, we had 23 submarines. Now we are down to six, hoping to become eight again in wow. the near future. So this is, this is what happened to the German Navy as it, as it has to most other European navies. Yeah, I was just going to ask you how roughly how big is the German Navy? And so so six going to eight submarines. How about on the surface combatant side? 
Well, taken all, if I may say so, taken all together, we we will lose some ships in the future because not every ship will now continue to be in the surface fleet. We will will get new ones uh, quite soon, a new class, multi-purpose frigates. Uh, but we will stay within uh, with the corvettes between uh, 25 and 30 ships, and that is uh, that is that is not what we actually need for all those operations that we have been and uh, for the collective defense um, requirements that come from NATO now. And being one of those NATO guys that wrote the defense requirements for Germany, I know that we would need more platforms, more ships. Um, but then again, it is quite expensive to maintain a big fleet. Yeah, so I know a lot of uh, you know ships uh, that are sold around the world are are, are made by German uh, shipyards, right? And and you know that the Type Two and Nine uh, submarines are are very popular with foreign navies. And so in in the U.S. Navy, we we are currently talking. There's a big talk about the industrial base, and is there enough industrial base to build the the size of the navy that there's an appetite now to build? Uh, and I know a lot of our, our private shipyards are full to capacity. They're building, they're building ships as fast as they can, given their current capacity. How is that? How does that compare to uh, the German industrial base for the defense sector? Are you also just at about the, the, the full capacity? It is, it is exactly the same picture. I, I'd say it's, it's worse uh, than, than with the American industrial base. Um, I, I've uh, recently spoken to, to, to industrial guys who actually said German um, um, defense industry has developed from an industry back to more of a manufacturer. You know, like we are building a missile at a time. We're not having uh, industrial style scale of operations in building munitions and, and stuff. We are building it at a time. That stems from uh, from from two um, two factors. The one is obviously the, the the scarcity of funds in recent years and those small numbers we actually bought ourselves in Germany. And at the same time, as you may know, that German the German view on arms exports has been very conservative. So um, if it was up to most politicians in Germany, they would have rather seen German defense industry only exporting to other NATO or EU nations. Well, obviously, with most of those countries having their own defense industrial base, um, there's not much of a market to actually come up with production and scale. Um, so this is this is the conundrum we, we are currently facing. So now, uh, especially in the munitions area, uh, politics in Germany is asking industry to, to provide and, and produce much more than they actually can. And they're on the same uh, human uh, resources problems that we face or that everybody faces around the globe. Yeah, that's exactly the, the debate that's happening here in Washington around the defense budget and the, the future year's defense budget for the next few years is wanting to ramp up production capacity, particularly for munitions. Uh, we published a, a piece just last week uh, by Nadia Shadlow, who's a strategist and who worked in the, the former White House, uh, and it was, you know, talking about energetics, about the explosives, um, you know, the, the capacity of the U.S. defense industry to create enough explosives and propellants for missiles and pyrotechnics and that sort of thing that that we just leaned out and, and trimmed down the size of the industrial capacity to the point where, um, you know, now what, what's happening in Ukraine has shown us we don't have enough capacity and we need to bring it back as, as quickly as possible. So, yeah. well, um, I want to ask you, uh, gentlemen, 
Um, so with, with your, your article is really about rebalancing NATO having to rebalance its navies. And so if and I go, this is, you're just speaking for yourselves, I know not, not official, uh, you know, defense ministry, defense uh, uh, policy. But if um, if NATO navies listen to you, how would their navies, how would uh, NATO navies be different in five, 10 or maybe 20 years? If I if I may start here, um, well, that, that's a tough question. Um, yes. <laughs> let me give it a try. So um, I think when it comes to balancing out uh, the things that we just mentioned, uh, that would be that would be good. Uh, so we have to be ready to conduct in the future crisis response operations. At the same time, be prepared for a collective defense uh, scenario as well. So our navies uh, have to keep the balance here. Now, now. I know it's, it's more exciting uh, to write an article um, portraying one extreme uh, or the other. And our article uh, always tries to find the, the balance between the extremes and the gray zone. I know this is less exciting, but we think that it's more the truth than, than now shooting into the extremes. Um, when it comes to our wishes, our, I would wish that, uh, that we reduce our duplications. We have many, many duplications uh, within NATO. And if we would cooperate better, delineate better, we could reduce those duplications, knowing that we all have the same problems when it comes to personnel, defense industries, etc. cetera. Uh, defense industry cooperation is, is an issue, but it's highly political. So this is rather a dream than something realistic. But of course, it would help us massively if our defense industries would, would cooperate better. So, uh, yeah. Mark, give, give me an example of one of those um, uh, overlaps, one of those places where there's probably, uh, you know, too much duplication, if you will. Um, yes. Uh, so uh, I see that in at least in Europe, but also I sense in the United States, um, there's a, a renewed emphasis on anti-submarine warfare. Uh, and everybody is now creating frigates and new technologies around it. Um, uh, but maybe we are overshooting a little bit uh, when it comes to certain areas, um, knowing that, for example, Russia doesn't have many um, submarines in the Baltics. Nevertheless, we invest much, much money, and not only Germany, but also other countries that are around the Baltic Sea um, in anti-submarine warfare. So it is important, don't get me wrong, but it's about getting the balance right again. And um, air defense frigates, Royal Navy, German Navy, the Marine Nationale in France, we are all investing massively. So maybe the answer, the right answer are multi-purpose, multi-mission ships. Um, and we see also this trend coming up in Europe and also in the United States. We have modular, modular combatants in the future. So I, I would, yeah. yeah, I would add some, some thoughts which would be, um, so how would they look? They would be uh, ships and our force structures which uh, uh, are made possible with much less personnel. So this has, be a, has to be a driving factor. It doesn't make any sense to come up with the brightest ideas about the best anti-missile or what have you, ballistic missile defense systems or, or, um, or, or, or what have you, if you do not find the personnel to actually man those systems. So we have to come up with ways of having multi-mission ships which are at the same time carrying the punch they need, but only do that with the smallest crew you, you can actually come up with. It is, we've had the discussions for, for years and years about lean management, manning and optimal manning. And I know about all the downsides of that and that you need certain crew sizes uh, to actually fight the ship uh, in the internal battle, for example. 
but we have to come up or face the fact that those are crews are not to be had. And um, so we can rethink our force structures with respect to uh, staying power of our vessels, make them perhaps smaller with less staying power, with lo less endurance, because we are in the end know if we build them bigger and stronger and more endurable, well, we won't find the crews to do that. So we can get away with that and do it smaller, do it, do it easier and, and perhaps a little dumb it down. Um, because in the end, what Navy, what the biggest advantage of Navy's always was as a political instrument is its versatility. So it doesn't help us to build uh, those, those, those uh, galactic death stars, which are only capable of doing one thing, fight the Russians or fight the Chinese, um, which then in the end can be really manned and are no purpose for any other, have no utility in any other kind of war. Um, we did that for 20 years. We, we ventured on that road, in, in the German Navy at least. Don't make that mistake again now in a different direction. Great point. So have you guys received any uh, feedback on your article among your colleagues in the uh, German Navy or perhaps NATO friends? So, uh, yes, from NATO, from NATO friends, as well as from colleagues. Um, so when it comes to NATO friends, they were actually quite happy because they see the same issues that we portray in the article as the, as the major issues as well. When it comes to colleagues here on the tactical level that I serve on, it's... Uh, of course, they, they would now argue that we should get rid of the crisis response operations. Um, we should now only focus on collective defense. This is what we have been built for. This is what we want to do, um, high-intensity warfare. But yeah, so the feedback, uh, I think, overall was quite positive. Uh, but of course, it is a current discussion um, where to find the balance. I'm, I'm glad you've gotten some feedback. Has it been uh, translated into German? Well, we've translated it. hasn't been It hasn't been published yet, so we have been waiting with a publication. Uh, uh, but yes, there is a German version by now. It has been originally written. The first uh, draft I'd written and then discussed with Mark, and then forged that collaboration was in English, because believe it or not, for us it's much easier to write such an article in English <laughs> than in German, because the whole structure of thought, of course. vocabulary, is all English. Um, so uh, it was quite an effort, actually, to translate it into German. Uh, and there will be uh, a publication, I think, in January, most probably, in, so to say, the, 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 um, the colleague of uh, proceedings in, in Germany, which is the Marine Forum, which is the monthly publication or bi-monthly publication of the German officers, Navy Officers Association. Yes. Fantastic. Well, when it's published, see, please send us a link to it. We do. We okay, do. that would be great. That'd be great. Uh, so we're, we've got to wrap up here. We're about out of time. time. Um, any last comments from either of you? Any, anything that we didn't cover that we should have mentioned? No, happy that. It was, was a great, great, great honor and, and uh, a lot of fun in, in uh, collaborating with you and um, looking forward to more collaboration in the future. Well, my staff and I and our editorial board were very much work looking forward to the next article you write for us because this one was just terrific. It's a it's a great piece, and uh, it was nice to get uh, a, a couple of um, you know NATO 
officers' views on these four structured discussions and arguments and, and the factors that are playing in, you know, not just in the U.S. Navy, but in all our navies, uh, you know, as we, as we think about the future. Uh, very insightful, very, very good piece. And, uh, uh, you know, please do write for us again. Will be a pleasure. Thanks a lot, Bill. All right. Thank you. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Proceedings Podcast brought to you by Blue Cross Blue Shield Dental Coverage. I can't help myself from smiling right now. That's because I have Blue Cross Blue Shield FEP Dental. I pay no deductible for in-network services. My in-network preventive care is fully covered, including three cleanings a year. Plans start as low as $20 a month. Learn more at bcbsfepdental.com. Okay, that wraps up another episode of the Proceedings Podcast. If you like the show, uh, if you enjoy the show, like us, subscribe to the channel, tell your friends, become a member of the Naval Institute at usni.org forward slash join. Until next week, remember, victory begins at the Naval Institute.